Well, good morning. Doing something a little different, no pulpit, but a, but a very comfortable stool. Do I look comfortable? <laughs> we are in our series in the book of Revelation. In the year somewhere around uh, 96, 98 AD, on the island of Patmos across the Aegean Sea uh, from Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey, uh, there was a... Uh, there was a prison there. And the Apostle John, also a political prisoner, sat on that rock island with the emperor expecting him just to rot and die. But it was the Lord's Day. It was a Sunday that he was in prayer, praying for the church, praying for seven churches across the sea, praying for Christ to come, for God's will to be done on heaven and, and on earth, that he had a vision he heard something behind him, and he turned to see the voice. And there, standing before him, was the risen Lord Jesus, who said to his servant John, write down what you are about to see and give it to the seven churches. And so that's what the book of Revelation is. It's a, it's a series of writings, and we've been studying these first uh, letters to the churches that the book is addressed to. So there's a letter for each of the seven churches, and then the rest of Revelation will then play out all the themes from those initial letters. And so now we're on number six, and we're on the, the church in the city of Philadelphia. The city of Philadelphia. When you think of Philadelphia, what do you think? Well, we'll get to that. But here's what I think. I think of the Prince of, of, of Bel-Air, right? Sunny in Philadelphia, it's not, that's not true. It's not always sunny in Philadelphia. It's often very cold and miserable. But think of the Liberty Bell. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Philadelphia. Okay, good, good number of people. Hall Notes are from Philadelphia. The Roots, the legendary Roots. Boys to Men. So they got, all right, what else? What else do we think of? A Rocky, of course. Uh, the City of Brotherly Love and Philly Cheesesteaks. Now, if you've ever been to Philly, if you ever have a chance to go back, let me tell you, if you order a Philly cheesesteak, the correct order is to ask for whiz, cheese whiz, okay? We have a political candidate a few years back. I think he ordered Gruyere or something, and his, his candidacy was done as far as people in Philly uh, thought of that. What else do we got? What else do we got? More, more Philly cheesesteak. Oh, and there are, there, there are the Eagles. I mean, how can you root for a team with a with a, a, a bird as a low... Okay, I mean, this, this particular bird, this particular bird, I mean, the Eagles are so bad that they moved the game next Sunday. It was going to be a, a night game, the big night, Sunday night. They moved it to a morning game against our Seahawks at 10 a.m. So they also don't love the church to, to schedule a game at 10 a.m. So, mm. Okay, well, that's, that's our Philadelphia. Now, the original Philadelphia was founded by the emperor's brother. And so brotherly love, he, was, he founded this and he wanted to name it uh, for his love uh, for the brother, his brother who was the emperor at the time. It was located in a very strategic location that was to open up doors to trade uh, from west to east and exporting of culture and, and, and goods. And so it was a very important location, a very uh, wealthy city. And there in that uh, prosperous city was a little community of Christians that were wondering, are we on the right side of history? What doors are being opened to us for opportunity to serve? And 
We'll see in the letter that Jesus dictates to send to this church, there are as many as four open doors to to the church in the city of Philadelphia. I love us to to stand together to honor God's word, invite Natasha to come uh, as she reads God's word to us. Can you give her the microphone, please? Good morning. And the angels of the church in Philadelphia write, the word of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This ends the reading of God's word. Amen. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So Philadelphia was a very prosperous city, uh, partly because of its location, partly because it was surrounded by rich volcanic uh, soil. It was great for growing because of its uh, location to active uh, volcano. In fact, there were times when the people of the city had to flee if there was a tremor or something, you know, a a sense that an earthquake was going to come. They'd have to race out of the city and then eventually come back. They didn't have uh, ways of, of determining when that might happen. A prosperous city until the year uh, 17 AD, when it was struck by a cataclysmic earthquake. Completely devastated the city. It's so bad that uh, we have records from uh, reports in Rome that the emperor allowed the city not to have to pay tribute for up to five years. So imagine a tax break. Because things were so bad, uh, they, they got to not pay uh, this tax, this tribute for five years. But how do the economics work when that happens? I mean, you have no income coming in. So yeah, you've got nothing to go out, nothing to pay. They were expecting more. They needed, uh, they needed capital. They needed money to rebuild their city. So they felt betrayed and neglected by the emperor. Okay, five, five years passed, but, but give us some help. To make matters work and to break trust even more, Domitian, the, the emperor or Caesar, kind of interchangeable titles of Rome and over the Roman Empire, he ordered, again, this is a historical record, he ordered all of the vineyards around Philadelphia, that rich, wonderful soil, all of them to be destroyed and yanked out. Why? Because he didn't want 
the vineyards of Philadelphia to compete with the vineyards around Rome. He wanted to make sure Rome was number one in the marketplace. So you can imagine that. So tearing out all those vineyards and this terrible circumstance, and that would have impacted every citizen of that city, but certainly it would have impacted those that were followers of Jesus. Look at verse 7. The words of the Holy One, the True One. I want you to underline holy and, and true. I, I've said uh, as we've gone through the series that these opening remarks, the way Jesus addresses each church, has everything to do with what he wants to communicate to that church. And it relates back to the initial vision that John uh, had of Jesus. The holy and true one. True. Absolutely faithful. You've been neglected. You feel betrayed. I'm the true one writing to you. That would have encouraged the believers in the church in Philadelphia. It certainly would have encouraged everyone if they knew who was speaking. I'm the true one. And the holy one. Holy. Jesus is lifting up his divinity, that he is holy. In in the book of Isaiah, 20 times in the book of Isaiah, it says that Yahweh is the holy one of Israel. Jesus is claiming to be God here. He's the holy and true one that can be trusted and absolutely faithful. Then underline the phrase, key of David, who has the key of David. Now, what's that about? Now, we go back to the initial introduction in chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus says he has the the key, the keys to to death in Hades. He has the the keys. He has the the power and the ability to, to rule for life or for judgment. But here it says, key of David. Does that ring a bell? Well, it would for these readers. Uh, Write down this reference, Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. And there is a character uh, throughout the book of Isaiah, throughout the prophecy, named um, Eliakim. Eliakim. E-L-I-A-K-I-M. At least a half dozen references to him. Uh, in, In the book of Isaiah, he's a type of Christ figure. He's given the key to the kingdom. He's given the key to the city of David. He's given the key, the responsibility to the temple of God. Isaiah 22 says that this servant of the Lord, upon him will be on his shoulders the government over the people. Does that ring a bell? Isaiah 9, the messianic prophecy about Jesus. And so here Jesus is claiming that same authority. Not just authority, uh, the key would be a, a source of authority. Not only authority over, uh, over death and Hades, life and, and judgment, but here the very keys, not to a city, but to the city of God, to the kingdom of God. He says this door has been opened. This is the first door, the door to new life. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he says to these people, he's encouraging them, I have opened the door to you. Open and no one can shut, who shuts and no one opens. This is the door that's open because of his death and resurrection. We think about the passages in, in the Gospels about the narrow gate. And Jesus says, I'm the narrow gate, I'm the door. Here he is opening the door. That's the first door, the open door to new life. What an encouragement to these believers. Right out of the outset, he wants to remind them of, of who they're talking to, the Holy One, the True One, the one with this great authority. Let's continue. Let's look at verse 8. 
This is the second door, the second door of community. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one can shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So it's easy to get this idea of being a little church with, without much influence, but why this reference again to opening and shutting them? What's, what's that all about? Well, think about the community that they find themselves in. These first believers were mostly of Jewish origin. And the Jews that were persecuted uh, in, by Rome throughout the empire would have spread out just to go find a place to live. And, and there must have been a community here in Philadelphia of Jewish people. They had a synagogue. They would gather uh, with one another, family gatherings on Saturday for, for worship. And then what happened? Some people heard the gospel. They started to believe that Yeshua, this rabbi from Nazareth, was indeed the promised Messiah. And what happens? What happens when someone accepts, accepts Christ? Things get messy. Conversations around dinner time with family gets difficult. And we can imagine the small group of people, when they started to actually speak out and say, no, he is the Messiah. He rose again. We believe it according to the scriptures that these Christians would be cast out of that community. Don't ever come back here. So imagine you're walking down the road and you're a Christian in, in Philadelphia of, of Jewish uh, descent. Or maybe you now have some friends who are Gentiles, but they also believe and you've, you've made friends with them. And then you pass someone that you grew up with. You've known them your whole life. And they shun you. You show up at the synagogue to go in and, and be with your people as, as was custom to worship there because we're worshiping the one true God of Israel. And they shut the door. Maybe they have a little slide that opens, look out, peer at you, shut it, and never to be allowed in again. Jesus says, this is an open door to the new community, a door that will never be closed to you. You've been kicked out. You feel powerless, but now you are my church. You're mine. Chapter 8, or excuse me, verse 8. And so this thought of being on the right side of history when so many problems are happening in, in, the, uh, in the empire, and they're being persecuted on that side, and here they're being kicked out by their own people. Jesus says, two things you've done right, and two things I want to compliment you on, two things I'm thankful for in you, two things I'm just going to say amen to you for. Look at, look at it. It says, you kept my word and not denied my name. I circled both those phrases in verse 8. You're powerless, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. What does that mean? It means what they were taught, they held to, they held fast, they believed it, and to not deny my name, put that in a positive way, they honored Jesus. You ask them, well, why are you doing this? Why would you reject your family? Why would you walk away? Well, what's happening with you? Why don't you get back in line? Why don't you toe the line? They said, no, because we believe in Jesus. And he says, worthy are you, blessed are you. And this door to new community has been opened. So the, the door of new life has been opened to them. The door of community has been opened to them. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan 
Now, that's kind of a rough thing to hear, isn't it? We've heard that before. Synagogue of Satan, who wants to show up, show up there? Well, if you're not part of the synagogue of God, he says they claim to be Jews, but they're, they're not, then you are part of a group, an organization, a religious affiliation that is anti-God. And so for John, it's very black and white. You either are worshiping the one true God, or you're worshiping not that God. You're either following the one who's holy and true, or you're following the one who is unholy and a liar. He says, those, those people there, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. This is the third open door, the open door of evangelism. Because they've kept the word, because they've honored his name, they are being used to go through a door and to invite others through the door of evangelism in this incredibly strategic location. And when we think about evangelism, we think about, well, we, we have to tell people about Jesus, right? We got to tell them what the scriptures say. We got to tell them who Jesus is. But more than anything here, the motivation is love. That's the motivation. It says they will bow your, their knee before you. They think, gosh, that's kind of harsh. Are they going to be groveling at your feet until we can say, see, you're wrong. We were right. No, this is a fulfillment of more prophecy. I, Isaiah chapter 60. Um, Well, when you write small, it's hard to read sometimes, my handwriting. So my, my brothers are both doctors, and I think I, got, I only got the handwriting from my physician doctor, doctor brothers. Okay, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 4, is a fulfillment here. Isaiah 60, verse 4, uh, is a promise to God's people that one day the nations will, de- will bow before God's people. And isn't that interesting? Jesus is saying to this little sect, this little group, of those kicked out of the Jewish community, made up of both people of Jewish descent and Gentiles, is saying, these people who claim to be Jews will one day bow their knee before you. The tables have now turned, but, but not to hold it over them, but that they might see the love that God has shown to this community. What a wonderful uh, motivation for us. As we have opportunity this season of, of Advent, Christmas coming, what motivates us to invite a neighbor to church, to tell someone about Jesus, that God would bring those words to your mind and to your lips of what you might say to encourage someone. And here's the fulfillment of that. Jesus opens the door to new life and community and evangelism. And then let's look at verses 10 and 11. Because you've kept my word about patient endurance, and Jesus now says, I'm going to keep you. Because you've kept my word, You've held up my name. I'm going to hold on to you from, quote, from the hour of trial. Now, whether this is a, uh, a crisis that's just about to happen or, or events immediately before his return, we don't know. And we're going to get into uh, the study of Revelation into, into 2020. We don't want to speculate here. Is this immediate events? It sounds like something that's just about to happen. Or are we already forecasting to the rest of the Revelation But what we do know is when Jesus says these words, he does not mean we're going to get you out of every hard spot that you face yourself, that you face. Our instinct is to say, Lord, get me out of trouble. Pull me out of the hard stuff. That's not what the Lord says here 
or throughout the rest of Revelation. There's some kind of crisis that's either immediately going to happen or immediately to precede his return. But either way, the point here is that because they're holding on to Jesus with patient endurance, he will hold on to them. I want you to write down John chapter 17, verse 15. This is the high priestly prayer. When the Lord Jesus is preparing for what's about to happen, and he's praying to his Father. Now you, do you believe that whatever Jesus would pray to God the Father would actually happen? Don't we hold that as believers? Absolutely. Listen to what he says in John 17, verse 15. My prayer is not, he's saying to the Father, my prayer is not that you take them, that is the church, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Say, Lord, take me out of this. If he prayed the other thing, my prayer is that you take them out of harm's way, would that not happen? It would happen. And yet he doesn't pray that. He prays just the opposite. He says, to be very clear, my prayer is not that you take him out of the world. Don't you wish Jesus said something else there? <laughs> like, my prayer is that you give them a ripcord, you give them an emergency release, you give them some way, an off-ramp, something. No, he says, but that you protect them from the evil one. That as you go through that hardship, as you go through that tribulation, we're not holding out hope to get out of that hardship. We're holding on hope that he will hold on to us. Amen? Is that encouraging to hear? That's the word of the Lord right here in John 17, verse 15, and also in the book of Revelation. To hold fast, to not deny his name, to be patient, and if you do, there's a reward. The reward is for those who conquer, who have victory, and that's the fourth door, the open door to heaven. Look at verses 12 and 13. Verses 12 and 13. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God. A pillar. And think about how pillars hold up buildings, right? What else do pillars not do? They don't move. And there's no need to flee. We don't have to run out of the city and then wait till the coast is clear and come back and wonder, is everything going to fall down on us? No, if we do these things, if we trust in the Lord, if we hold fast, if we honor his name, we will be a strong pillar that's not going to fall. Now, this is uh, true of architecture in Philadelphia and back east, not so much in, in our region of the world, but there are oftentimes columns that you'll see in a house or in a building they're just for show. They're just sort of a decorative feature. Do you know what I'm talking about? Just like maybe a, a, a column that's just there for show. And that was actually a common thing in the ancient world, in the pagan world, in temples. If you had enough money and wherewithal and influence, you could have a pillar erected in your honor. Think about the cost between buying a, a pillar that's relatively smooth and and, and uh, cylinder, uh, cylinder versus having it carve your face or something. No, just a big pillar dedicated in your honor. And your family name would be uh, sketched in the rock around that pillar. So every time someone came into the temple, they'd see your name, they'd, they'd read about your, uh, your, the things that you've done. The thing about when church, you go into churches and there's 
oftentimes, not so much in our church, I don't think, there's oftentimes plaques on everything. If you've ever been to a synagogue, every stick of furniture has someone's name it's been dedicated to. That's been true uh, since the dawn of time. Jesus says, you will be a pillar, and what's going to be written on that pillar? Not your name, but the name of my God, the name of the city God, uh, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from, uh, down from my God out of heaven and my own name. Jesus is saying he's going to tattoo his name on you. Uh, so, folks, if you're thinking about getting a tattoo and you get you know, like Yeshua or something, well, there's coverage here. But it's okay. Parents are freaking out. Uh, college students come home and they, they have, hey, it says it right here. That his name will be written on you. Do you see? Do you see heaven opening up? It references Revelation 21, verse 25, where, where the new Jerusalem, the new temple of God, the city of God, has gates that are open, doors that will never, ever be shut. Why? Because we're free to come in and go out. There's nothing to fear anymore. What an encouragement for these Christians struggling to hold on. Are you struggling to hold on? Do you get weak in the knees when someone asks you about your faith? What an encouragement we have here of open doors, open opportunities, of new life, of being invited into Christian community, of the opportunities you have, we have as a church, to share the good news of great joy, even at this season of Christmas, and the open door to heaven. Jesus says, the doors are open. My Father's arms are open wide if you might come in. Maybe today is the first opportunity you've had to walk through that door. I want to pray for you. Maybe this is the day that you have the opportunity to say, I want to take another step towards community here at Maple Valley Church. I want to invite you to do that. Maybe you're thinking of that colleague or classmate or neighbor. You might Finally, once and for all, just go for it and invite them to come to church. Maybe it's the carols and cookies. I want to pray for you this morning. For those of us who are thinking of issues of life and death and our mortality and how much more time the Lord has for us today, I want to pray for you that the encouragement, the promise that the Lord has for you and for me and for all of us, that we get to enter into heaven. Let's pray. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for these open doors. We thank you for the beautiful opportunity we have right here in this community that just, just seems like yesterday, a couple of decades ago, was just a, a quiet bedroom community out in the woods. The folks would own a place by the lake. They'd, they'd try to beat the summer heat. And now it's this super fast-growing community with people coming not just from the region or the country, but from around the world. There are people coming from all nations, right here to South King County. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that you've placed us in. Encourage those here, Lord, who want to take a step of faith to walk through the door that you've opened for them. For those here who struggle with community, feeling that they're on the outs, that they would enter in. For those of us who have opportunity, Lord, the open door of communication and, and invitation to someone in our life, Lord, help us to be strong in the, in the word, and, and to rely on your, on your name to go forth in that. And Lord, that we might just share the love that you've shown to us to someone else.
And Lord, the promise of heaven. We sang about this morning, the promise of heaven. It's only by, by your blood that we have the wherewithal, the opportunity, the blessing to be used of you. Little though we may be, seemingly powerless though we may be, you can do great things through us. We pray in Jesus' name, you will. Amen.